Good evening and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. We're glad you're here. This is the class to put some peak in your week. And we're starting a brand new study, one on the book of Colossians. So we're glad you're here. This is a class where we, we encourage everybody to talk, to ask questions, to make comments. We actually learn from each other, so hopefully we can get there. This is an introduction. Introductions are by nature a little dry, but we've tried to make it as interesting as we can. So let's start out with who wrote the book? Very good, Paul. The reason we know this is Paul puts it in the first verse. He talks about Paul, an apostle by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy's his right-hand man. But theologians, they like to sort of get things going, and there's a big thing out there called the copy theory. Now what the copy theory says is that he wrote either Ephesians first and then Colossians, or Colossians first and then Ephesians. And the reason is there are so many verses that are similar. If you can look up here, these, the way it works, you just go right across. So these are very similar verses. There are over 20 of them that have that similar verse thing. So some people say, you can't have that much alike and not be a copy. I, I still go with Paul. If it says Paul in the text, I go with Paul. So Paul's all right. The second reason the copy theory holds some water is that we know that Ephesus is about 100 miles from Colossae. He stayed at Ephesus an entire year. So that's another one that the copy people say, that's probably when the copy had happened. It could have been that usually when you received a letter, you got some people who could read and write and you copied it and sent it to different places. I don't think that happened, but it's there for your birth. When did Paul visit Colossae? There's not a record about him ever going in Colossae. In fact, when you get into the book, he says things like, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. In chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and those at Laodicea for all who have not met me personally. And when you get into the book in chapter 4, it is basically giving accommodations to those people who went and were working there. And Paul was thanking them for all of their efforts. Okay. When was it written? 
It depends. That year in Ephesus was 53 to 54 common error, or AD, whichever one you want. But more likely, this is one of the prison epistles. Paul is in prison in Rome. And that would make it about 62. So pay your money, take your choice. I don't think this makes a whole lot of difference as far as the letter is concerned. But we need to know that. Why was it written? There are other beliefs that were sneaking into Christianity. So what kind of beliefs might be sneaking in at Colossae? Let me give you a few hints. There is a guy named Atticus the Great. And they found that at Colossae there was a chalk-like substance just under the ground. So to mine that just like chalk things that could mark, sort of their magic marker, he brought 2,000 Jewish families to Colossae. After they were there for a while, he brought almost the same number of pagans into Colossae. The thing was to make these for the Roman Empire and so some people were still there that were Roman. So you've got all these kinds of things. Now how does that translate into Christianity? Well, it creates problems if you don't know the truth about Jesus Christ. So, we're going to play a little game tonight to see how much we know. Jesus is the Lord of creations. He's the Lord of the church and of ministry. And then he's going to talk in chapter 2 about our walk, Lord of our salvation and Lord of our, our growth. And then he's going to talk about our lives in chapter 3. Okay. These passages is our little game for the evening. You know you have Romans, you know you have pagans, and you know you have Jewish families for sure in Colossae. So who could he be talking about when he writes this? For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Who might he be referring to? trying to encourage the Christians there, saying, I've never stopped praying for you, and, and asking God to 
to give you wisdom and knowledge, understanding. So it sounds like they're just new Christians. Good. Good. Anybody else? We have pagans. What would they be like? have some bad habits they gotta get rid of. People who have bad habits that they have to get rid of. They've been worshiping lots of gods. They, yeah, idolatry is part of the pagan lifestyle. They've not heard the gospel. This would be brand new stuff to them. And then there are the astrologers that'll come in. So you've got all these different people who are new Christians who have had this background that is totally unchristian. And Paul says, I, I'm praying that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will. They don't have any knowledge. Who else could it be? The Jews. Y'all remember the book of Galatians? In the book of Galatians, what the Jewish Christians, who were former Jews, did was they tried to force Christianity to be part of the Jewish religion. So you had to do all the things. You had to keep the diet. You had to act a certain way. And they tried to make it. You had to be circumcised whenever the eighth day. And it led to Paul going to the big conference in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to see what the Jewish religion could bind and couldn't bind on new Christians. And he did this because he basically was representing Gentiles. Okay, so far the game's going good. Who do you think is included on this passage? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Who do you think he's talking about? Or trying to help out? Sounds like they may be having some problems in, in whether just to serve Christ or whether, you know, you can serve Christ and serve other religions as well. Can I do, can I have, I can't I have every, everybody? And that's what they, the pagans were used to in their religion. They could have multiple gods because they did different things for them. <clears throat> yeah. 
Yeah, something that Matt preached on was how God's people actually fell into Baal worship towards the end of the kings in the divided kingdom. Who else? these uh, teachings to uh, people who are kind of already in the know, but also because he's so descriptive in these two uh, verses, trying to connect some other mental dots for those that you've already mentioned. Yeah, very good. Jesus is in fact God. That's a pretty big idea that not a lot of people get even today. Yeah. And it sort of rules out all the other gods that they might have brought with them. And they came up with Baal worship, astrology. They had different gods for different seasons, different gods that would bless them in war, different gods who would make their crops appear bountiful. And if you got messed up, if they did the wrong thing, then they'd have to make some sacrifices. And he's saying, no, no, that's not the case. Jesus is the visible God. Okay. So far, the game's going good. Why do you think Paul included this passage based on what you know about to whom it is written? I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who do you think he's talking to? Stefan? We know from other letters that Paul wrote that there were people in the church that had a difficult time, uh, should you say, getting along with each other, uh, whether it being considered one group who was maybe fairly wealthy, and then they would have, and then Colossae, of course, they did have, you know, it talks about slavery late in the end of the book. So, you know, they had that, but they also would have Jews, Gentiles, that was always an issue. How much Judaism can I bind on the Gentiles and everybody else? Do they have to keep all the Jewish laws? And sometimes they weren't united in love. Sometimes they really weren't. They, the book of Ephesians hits this over and over again, that they were bumping heads. that one wouldn't accept the other as brethren. And so Paul talks about how we are one body. We're one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one. He kept saying one, we are one, one, one. And 
the Jew and the Gentile just were bucking heads and Paul says, no, no, no. That wall has been abolished through Christ. Very good, sir. Who else might he might be talking? Who else might he be talking about? Heidi online suggests that might be the Jewish people. Jewish people. Okay, good. He might be. They have a, an idea about the Christ, but that idea sometimes wasn't full. They couldn't let go of the old and grab on to the new. Very good. Anybody else? Y'all look scared. Don't be scared. Take a shot. What about Gentiles? This complete understanding thing. That they can come to a complete understanding about Christ. That they could be united in love. Can you see the possibility that might be part of the church there and Paul's trying just to get them together? I tell you that no one may deceive you by five fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm in the faith. Who would this be? The Jews? Very good. Was going in and trying to to reteach people. You know, they already had the knowledge of Christ, and then they went in and said, well, you've got this, but you don't have enough yet. You need a little bit more. Yeah. They, they did definitely do that. And they didn't accept. Christianity was so easy compared to what they had been through. Very good. Who do you think this one's about? You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There's some hints. 
the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. He canceled the written code. That's the law, yeah. Very good. This is probably talking to the Jewish people who can't accept the fact that Christianity compared to Judaism is easy. You remember these people have come out of the teaching of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they made life unbearable. It started with just a couple commands, and by the time they were done with it, they have over 600. And it's what Christ ran into over and over again. And when we read the, the Gospels, we hear about the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Pharisees. But they were a small portion of the Jews, a very small portion of the Jews. And you have all these other Jewish peoples that are just struggling to meet up with all their standards. They never were good enough. So this had to have been such a relief that they didn't have to be perfect. That would be a big relief. You're right, Sue. Very good. Raina online says she thinks it's for people who still obeyed the Levitical law. So she agrees that too. Oh, very good. And that was? Raina. Raina. Thank you, Raina. Who do you think this is? Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sexual indulgence. I gotta come over and look at this group. I'm not hearing much, so I'll come over and look at y'all for a while. certainly know that can apply to the Jews. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
do not do this, do not do that. Heidi online says she would have been paranoid and nervous about violating a commandment in the law if she was Jewish. has changed to we want to please our Father, not that we can't do something because we understand that we're free in Christ. Very good. Yeah, very good. Y'all are, you, you got to come every week. You've had so much already. I'm going to throw it in there too. It almost sounds like Christians who've been Judaized because it talks about if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, then why are you still keeping the Jewish law? So this is somebody who believed in Christ, was baptized, the Judaizers got to them, now they're following a different set of rules uh, on top of that. So the question is basically why in the world did you do that when you've already been freed? Well, they believe it's the right thing to do. They've heard that since knee high to a tadpole. Uh, they got that bred in them from the beginning, and by 13, they had it down. So they could be a full-fledged Jewish person and get all the rights and abilities. But the thing is, all these self-imposed things aren't commands that's found anywhere. They're human regulations. It sounds good, but it doesn't stop anything. In fact, it encourages it. Which is very important. That, that if you get a religion of don't, 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 you're probably going to be in trouble. Because a lot of people could yell, Sue? And, and also, if you're, if you're basing your hope of your salvation on all the things you do right and not based upon what Christ died for you, he made the difference. It's what he did that enables us to be saved, not that we are doing everything right. Very good. Thank you. Who do you think this one? This is one of my favorite. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, 
But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Anybody want to take a chance? Who would indulge in sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed? Anyone who's not walking by the Spirit. Great answer. I think it's, that's such a good answer because I'm sure the Jews would say, this is not us. We, de we, didn't, we don't do any of that kind of stuff. But they did. They, you know, everybody has done these kind of things. But for the Gentiles, the people that had not been exposed to Judaism or Christianity, they weren't taught the moral code that comes with Christianity, that these things are wrong. That was acceptable life. No one would say, oh, he's not a nice person. He does that. That wouldn't have even bothered anybody. Like <laughs> but that was outwardly, because a lot of these sins are inward that the mm -hmm. Jews could get away with without people judging them for. And that was even evidence with Mary Magdalene when Jesus said he was without sin, cast the first stone, and they all went away because they knew even if they were outwardly pure, they knew they were not inwardly. Yeah. I've always wondered what he wrote in the, in the dust. I would have liked to have known that. Inward sins. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I think maybe. Okay. A couple more, and then we're going to make some application. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This to me sounds like the bumping of heads again. If there's no Greek or Jew, you're starting to knock down the walls. Things that keep us apart. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Then he talks about the barbarians, the Scythians. See, that three times fast. Slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. You got a reason to come together, not a reason to go apart. We all have Christ in us. Okay. Who do you think this passage is about? Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know you also have a master in heaven. 
Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you, walk, you act towards un outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to come here and look at you all again. Who do you think it is? In this case, uh, because the way you act towards outsiders. Yeah. Very definitely. Very definitely. Why do you want to be the way you act towards outsiders? Why is that important? Well, we are Christians by our love for one another. Yeah. It's the way Christianity is spread. It isn't spread so much by our words as it is our deeds and actions. So you have to be careful how you, how you speak and answer to everyone so that it's good for them. This might also be kind of a conclusion. He's already written to everybody about different things that really are their issues. But now I think he may just be writing to all Christians in the church there, whether they're Jew, pagan, slave, masters, you know, no matter who they are, he's writing to all of them. That this, this should apply, you know, how you talk, how you act in front of outsiders, uh, all those kinds of things should apply to everyone. Yeah, they would. Joe, you look like you want to say something. Seasoned with salt means. Seasoned with salt. Salt was the preservative they had back then. If you wanted to keep meat, you put salt on it. Uh, back when we lived in West Virginia, there was a, a little shop. And uh, when we would have a funeral, I would go there, and the owner would say, come with me. And he'd take me back to the hams. And he'd say, pick one. And we'd pick a ham and we'd go out and the ladies would cook it. But boy, it had salt in it. It was very obviously full of salt. You look like you wanted to make a comment. Nope, okay. The book is interesting because chapter one, he sets the tone with everything. Because chapter 1 is on the supremacy of Christ. Doesn't matter what you've known before Christ. Doesn't matter what you've done before Christ. Christ is the answer to it all. And he is supreme. He's going to announce their power. His power, what he has done for us now. What he will continue to do for us. That's all in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he looks at our attitudes. And he talks about the way we treat each other. And when we're not treating each other well, 
he tries to straighten it out. By chapter 3, he goes through a couple of different things that he says about our lifestyle. And the lifestyles that had mixed together, they needed to get Christ in the middle of that. And in chapter 4, it talks basically about how we should get along. And the rest of it is all those who have worked so hard to get the church going at Colossae. And it's a thank you and a bye-bye. We're going to end it up now. Any comments? That means y'all were awful good if you've answered all the problems here. But next week when we get to chapter 1, it will be good stuff. So here's your assignment. Read Colossians chapter 1, the first 14 verses. And we will take it apart next week. All the details. So thank you all for talking so much, learning from each other. And uh, come back next week. It's going to get better. <laughs>